The Rocketomics Podcast is brought to you by Brooks Bars, the nutrient-dense snack bars made from real ingredients. They're gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, and egg-free, and come in four delicious flavors. Apple pecan, apricot chocolate, cherry espresso, and original flavor. They fill you up and keep you full, like when you go straight from work to go record a podcast and dinner is still a couple hours off. True story. They're lifesavers for us here at Rockonomics. You can find them at select Whole Foods throughout the South and 150-plus retailers in 16 states. Find out where you can buy Brook Bars, or better yet, have them delivered right to your door. Go to brooksbars.com. That's B-R-U-K-S-B-A-R-S.com to find out more. is the Rockonomics Podcast number two, our sophomore effort. Let's hope it goes better than a lot of sophomore efforts of our uh, of our favorite bands. You know who I'm talking about. You guys who come out with debut albums that are off the charts and then, you know, comes number two album and it shits the bed. I'm your host, Dill, with producer Nick Fry. Our catchphrase in what we're doing here is exploring the price tags and paychecks of the business that is sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Um, and what's always interesting is the stories of the early days of bands and you know, some of the monetary struggles they endure. Um, I bring this up because I just finished the book, Meet Me in the Bathroom. Uh, it's called uh, – sub subtitle is Rebirth and Rock and Roll in New York City, 2001 to 2011 by Lizzie Goodman. And there are some great quotes I want to read that really hit the mark of what we're after here at Rockonomics. So the first one is the Strokes guitarist uh, Nick Valencia. Talking about fellow guitarist Albert Hammond Jr., whose father, Albert Hammond Sr., was a successful recording artist in his own right and appears to have covered some of their expenses for the band. So Nick says, When it came time to get gear, those little things that are necessary in a band can add up. Guitar strings, cables. This guy needs a bunch of drumsticks because he keeps breaking them. We need a PA for our rehearsal room. It doesn't seem like a lot, but I didn't have guitar strings and guitar cables. And now all of a sudden we did. I'm very grateful and appreciative to Albert Hammond Sr. for paying those fucking credit card bills. Well said, Nick. Um, a second quote is from Daniel Kessler. Uh, he's a guitarist for Interpol, and he goes on to say, Being in a band in New York is fun, but it's not fun. It's expensive, and you're broke, and everyone is scrounging for money, and you get to your rehearsal space for an hour or two, and your equipment is all broken. So you spend your first hour saying, This thing's broken. That was a very hard time. I love hearing that stuff. Uh, and hopefully as this podcast grows, we'll be able to bring in more and more artists and people close to the business that can share uh, similar stories and how the uh, ebb and flow of the almighty dollar uh, affected the pursuit of their, uh, their endeavors. Um, all right. Let's get to today's show. Our talk with Wills Glade and Brian Olson of Shadowgraphs. They're a young and up-and-coming band that's starting to make some noise in all the right places. Brooklyn Vegan being one of them, gave them a great review recently. They just released their album Venomous Blossoms that they painstakingly recorded on analog equipment. And you'll hear um, them getting into a, a, a lot of gear talk. I got to admit, some of it, I was like, I have no idea what the hell you guys are talking about or what that piece of gear does. But uh, I know your gearheads will like it. So uh, they just returned from their first national tour and we've got a lot to cover. So let's uh, listen in.
Coors Tall Boy. Yeah. Coors I thought Banquet. You, you guys already had what you were bringing. I, I normally do, but I'm always rushing out to get here. Gotcha. I almost we're, bought a, we're, brought we're, a bottle of bourbon. We're sponsored yeah. by Coors Banquet Beer. <laughs> Cold as the Rockies. Um, all right, so we do have Shadow Graphs with us today. We've got Wills Glade and Brian Olson. Hello. Hello, everybody out there. <laughs> Hello, world. Um, it's funny, just doing the little bit of research I've uh, allowed to do. Um, you guys are described as 70 eras funk soul groove, psychedelic rock with 60s influence. <laughs> so that's, that's two decades right now. Uh, Tame Impala asks psych pop. Yeah. And one I think you guys might be the authors behind the Baroque site. Yeah. 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 I had never heard that term before until someone wrote that. And I was like, oh, that's, that's nice and refreshing. Yeah. I think anytime you have a harpsichord sound, you're just immediately. Baroque. I, yeah, I think that's how like, it works. Yeah. You know? I don't know. That's why I wish I brought the definition. I actually looked it up, and it is. It's. A, I mean, it's. Uh, it's going to be an overused word for me the rest of the year. I'm pretty sure it's. It's got a pretty good uh, artistic bent to it, and uh, it's nice to say. Yeah, it's kind of like a Baroque. Yeah, <laughs> Baroque. <laughs> yeah, jazz. I don't know. But what do you got uh, of that? Of that description? What do you guys? What, um, I think we are. Uh, what do you guys prefer? Uh, we don't want to say psychedelic. Be- I mean, we are psychedelic, but we're. I feel like every, like there's a couple songs that are more in one direction psychedelic, yeah. and a couple that are more like '60s pop, like I mean, '60s revival, um, a little bit. And but we like putting our twist on it and making it a little different, like things that they couldn't do exactly back then. Maybe like adding in like yeah. some weird stuff or like yeah. still having a modern um, vibe going on. Right. I guess. Um, Neo psychedelic. Neo psychedelic. <laughs> um, but I feel like we, yeah, we have a, a Bossa Nova track, style track on the record, and we have you know some jazzy stuff. So it's it is kind of all over the place. I don't know if we were like soul and funk. I mean, maybe a little bit of funk. I like that. Maybe the next record we uh, yeah. can get a little funkier. Yeah. I, I, I wish I notated where that came from. It's funny because <laughs> that doesn't that does seem to be the odd the odd man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe the next record a little more soul, mm-hmm. for sure. Charles Bradley. Um, let's go back. Let's not spend too much time on this, but a little bit of background on you guys. I know. Uh, okay. You know, full disclosure, Will's and I, our fellow uh, colleagues. Yes, I know a little bit about you, but tell tell the rest of the world. Okay. Um, well, I was born in New Hampshire. Uh, live free or die. <laughs> until I was eight, and um, then moved over to Germany with because of my father's job at the time and parents went through a divorce ended up both marrying germans i got thrown into german school and i was there for like eight years and then ended up moving back to the states to um charlotte was here for like three years of high school moved up to vermont for a year back to germany like right south of berlin for another year and now i'm back in uh charlotte and kind of been doing um, art and music the whole time, just kind of jumping around. And it's been cool meeting up with Brian. He was like, out of all the places I've been to, one of the people who was kind of on the same page musically as me. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my story is not that exciting. <laughs> uh, born and raised in Chicago, Illinois, um, suburbs of Chicago. I'm not going to say 
the city, although that would be cool. Um, moved to Charlotte about 11 years ago. Right. Um, to uh, play in a band with my brother, who's actually a drummer, and he's also in an electronic pop band called uh, Miami Dice. <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, I moved here and I started playing bass. It was the first instrument I started playing. And then, uh, yeah, and just kind of went down the rabbit hole and picked up acoustic and started writing songs and kind of learned on my own and have been doing it ever since. And yeah, meeting Wills is really cool because there isn't a lot of people that, I mean, there's people that like the same music that we do, I think. Yeah. But I mean, applying it to your music and kind of like, I don't know, writing songs in that kind of genre. It's right. Like Charlotte's kind of, um, I don't know, I would say Charlotte's like a little more eclectic. And yep. not so poppy, like the you know, like songwriters here and and bands, and you have like punk and and metal and all that, you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I've been here for about eleven years. Yeah, I read where you guys clicked over, you know, common uh, common tastes. Yeah. Um, what what I thought was funny was the the previous bands you guys said you were in. Brian, you were in Cement Stars. Yeah. <laughs> and Wills was Blank Ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Did, you guys, did you guys bond over band names at all? <laughs> yeah. Actually, when we were um, coming up with band names for this band, our project, it was probably the longest like week of my life. It was so yeah, intense. It was... And bringing the drummer into the play, he made things very <laughs> difficult. It was... We, we all, he was very adamant on our name being Chained Links. He's like, but get it? It's like links, like in a chain, but it's also like you know, like a links, like the animal. We're just like, oh my god, this is never gonna. Happen. Yeah, it's, it's, it's <laughs> obviously difficult picking a band name because you know you want people to be into it and you want it to be memorable, but um, yeah, it takes some time and it's super annoying. No, it's definitely the hardest. <laughs> I, I know from personal experience, we were named by a bartender who was overhearing our argument. So, really? So <laughs> his suggestion wasn't half bad, and we're like, we're never going to agree, the four of us. So yeah, that's cool. So thank you. Um, <laughs> but I want to I want to go back just a little bit, Brian. You you were saying you know uh, about picking up the bass. I, I read that you yeah. didn't you didn't pick up an instrument until you're like 21. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so how did that? And your but your brother was someone who grew yeah, up with music. Yeah. So my brother um, started playing drums when he was about eight or nine. I want to say. And I uh, played in bands growing up, and I was I was around all of that growing up, and you know loved music and everything. But I got into skateboarding, and that kind of like consumed my life for ten years. Same, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, you get hurt and you get older, <laughs> you know, and it's like okay. Um, and a lot of my friends kind of stopped skating and. And I don't know, I just started getting back into music. And I remember my brother was like, dude, what are you doing? You should you should play bass or like pick up an instrument. Right. And come play bass with me in my band. And then that was it from there, you know. And were you were you were you a quick study? I mean, was it is, I mean, were, I played, were you picking up cold or did you fiddle so, all like, this time? I think when I play bass, yeah, just just playing by ear. Um and that's how it, and the bass lines weren't like intricate or anything. I mean, it was just like kind of post punky kind of vibe. Uh, stuff you know and then uh but acoustic i picked up acoustic guitar i was really into like elliot smith which is like crazy to start like playing guitar listening to his music because he's an amazing guitarist um but yeah to start reading like tab and like learning songs you know and then just went from there and 
I, I think I immediately started writing my own songs. So like once I was able to like figure out D, the D chord and G and E and every all the basic chords, I was trying to write songs already. So yeah. and did this did the uh, you know the your lives in skateboarding did that influence what you were listening to at yeah. the time or you know kind that, of where you landed? That yeah. was a that was Definitely. a big thing for both of us. Like especially back in the day before like the whole. Um, I don't know, movie pirating like got even crazier. They were like a lot of skateboarders were making a lot of money off of their movies and a lot of thought um, went into like editing and like the song that would go with like each part. And it became a thing that like anytime there was like a snowboard part or like a skate part that was sick and like worked out really well, it was like, oh, who is that song? And you'd always wait to the ending credits and whoever was selecting it was like yeah they had good taste yeah and like skateboarders taste. have good taste in music <laughs> yeah. you know like hip hop like everything because <laughs> they're conditioned yeah, yeah to like I don't know certain songs but yeah I discovered a lot of music like that was how I discovered the Beatles funny enough I was like I kept being like oh that was an awesome part and an awesome song who's this oh the Beatles in in a skateboard video really yeah yeah and then like I discovered the Beatles when I was five years old <laughs> yeah but yeah <laughs> But yeah, no, I just like, I kept, and it happened like three times in a row. And I was like, oh, it's these Beatle guys again. And then I like looked them up and what, I was like, song? oh, these are older. I'm, I'm interested to know what song it was. Uh, it was A Day in the Life and they like slowed down the like chorus part. It like worked really well. And I was like, this is a crazy mm -hmm. song. And yeah. It's a good song. But yeah. It's funny though. Was there any, it doesn't seem like any of the influences, I mean, aside maybe uh, from the Beatles, but like to go back to the '60s psychedelic, yeah. you know, thing that you're described as. <laughs> I, I feel like, am I wrong? But is were, the, were there a lot of like when I think of skateboard videos, and maybe I'm dating myself, but it, is it more you know pop punk? It, you no, know, uh, it, it I mean, depends on everything. I guess it's, you guys are a little bit younger, so was there a lot of hip hop influence, like you were saying? Yeah, well, it yeah. it kind of came down to like because skateboarding videos were kind of like. Um, like a, a genre in themselves that like each team was kind of like a th so like let's say DC skateboarding came out you knew it was going to be kind of like baggy pants guys with some more hip hop yeah. tracks whatnot right. then there was like Habitat skateboards they put out a movie and it was a lot more like Beatlesque like songs mm -hmm. oldies and whatnot so it's like almost like a genre depending on what you were following for like a team it's kind of weird thinking yeah. back I mean on that it. started in '96 yeah and like. Yeah, hip hop was great around that time. You know, like underground stuff, um, like Gangstar, right. you know. And I, I definitely listened to a lot of hip hop growing up, too. Um, I don't know where that falls in our <laughs> influences now, but It'll like. come out. Yeah, maybe later <laughs> on. But yeah, I don't know where we picked up. I don't think skateboarding kind of influenced like any psychedelic, like, maybe a well, little bit for you. Yeah. I mean, um, I've. I found the doors through skateboarding weird enough. That's so too. funny. Yeah, and it was another. I can see a lot of lawsuits coming out this. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, coming I, out I've this podcast because they're going to be like, "Where the hell?" Oh, you know, I've been thinking about that too, and I'm like, right, like the right to use that stuff." You know, probably a lot of DIY, you know, oh, DIY yeah. videos right. that make their way into you know skate stores and. Well, they did a good job. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So. All right, well, so you guys meet, you guys hit it off, you start writing music. 
Um, I want to get into Brian. You're a aficionado of analog equipment, correct? Yeah, I guess. Um, I started off like I've always liked recording, and always like when I first started um, writing music, I was recording on like a little four-track Porta Studio, Tascam Porta Studio. Um, those are little silver ones. They're like I don't know, hundred bucks at Guitar Center, and uh, I just love recording and learning. I just learned sound on sound, and then. Uh, I don't know, like, for a while, me and my brother were recording on, like, a digital multi-track, mm-hmm. and that was cool, but I, I really liked tape, and I remember at one point, I think it was, like, maybe four or five years ago, I was like, I want to record with tape. I think I was, like, listening to John Mouse, and I was like, it sounds like tape, like cassette, you know, and I want to go back to that. So I got back into, into cassette, and it's a nightmare because, like, the equipment is so cheaply made, you know, and you have all these freaking issues with it. <laughs> and I remember my brother being like, dude, give it up, man. Like, it's just get the digital stuff, you know. And that kind of pushed me where I was like, <laughs> no, bro, I'm going to make this work, you know. Like, I'm going to do this tape thing. And I just kind of, like, started going down a rabbit hole and then uh, got into uh, the the high, not the higher end stuff, but the, a different format, like a consumer format. It's like, half inch eight track tape right you know and uh we recorded our first ep with that and yep. i think that was the first time we really put it put it to use and then i don't know like most people like that get into equipment you just keep going down the rabbit hole and you're like oh there's compressors oh there's equalizers that are t-, you know like you got tube equipment you got um just a bunch of other classic stuff i got a really cool microphone yeah that thing from sam ash i got a it's a telefunken u67 which is like insane that even have it. Usually, it's for like thirteen grand. <laughs> They're just like an insanely expensive microphone, and I got it for a really good deal at Sam Ash. <laughs> they used the uh, the used section of the Pro Audio department, and I uh, and I spent a lot of money getting it restored, and like, but it's like the best investment ever. And, and, this, and is this all? This is just you, not you and your brother. This is like your investment. This investments. is just me. Yeah, this right. is me. I was basically um, taking commission money that I was making from artwork because I also do collage art, and I was just taking that and just dumping it in to the studio. And um, there's no way in hell I could have bought any of that stuff without the commission money. Um, so it's kind of like taking one thing and feeding it into another creative outlet. Um, so. And yeah. are you for hire as a? studio um it's it's difficult because i don't have a lot of time to do it i work a full-time job and then we do this we do the band and and then doing collage art it's it's insane like juggling everything and i wish i could record more more bands and i I think i'm gonna do a band a local band called landless okay can record the record um in august so that should be pretty cool but it's you know it's at my house and it's it's not a professional facility it's like we make it work and uh I don't know. I, I wish I could do it more, though, for sure. You know, if I could quit my day job and record bands and record our music all day, it's, it would. It sounds like what you need is a wife and a couple of kids. <laughs> <laughs> I need someone just paying all the bills, and then I can do all that. Yeah. So recording, let's talk about recording. Well, I guess you recorded Venomous Blossoms, your new album. Yep. You did it all yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about, you, you went to mix it professionally. Yeah. Uh, where at? 
Uh, We went to Chase Park Transduction Studios down in Athens, Georgia. Um, It was funny that, like... The guy who mixed the record, his name's Drew Vandenberg, and he did a great job, but initially we found him through, he, he mixed a couple records that we really liked, like Tori Moi, Underneath the Pine, some of Montreal records, he worked on Deer Hunter stuff, and I didn't know how all that kind of went to, like if that's someone I could literally shoot an email and he'd get back to me. So I sent him an email, and like two days later he's like, yeah, yeah, I could work with you guys, and I was just like... <laughs> there, I, I didn't care how much it was going to cost. I was just kind of like, oh, this is awesome. So we kind of put our egos aside and we were like, let's just track it as good as we can and then just get this guy to you know mix the record in a studio with all this equipment that would take us like 20 years to ever like be able to buy and like well and just, he, he's got like an ear for yeah, the room yeah he's he, gone to school for it he knows exactly yeah, what he's he doing he started working at Chase Park when he was 16 you know and wow. he was um like you know, probably an intern, and then moved on. But he, he's been there forever, and he's like, I think he's my age. He's in his thirties now. But um, and did you guys just, mix your previous stuff? Yeah, yeah, we yeah, mixed so. the, the EP, but we had a uh, we had it mastered in New York at Sterling Sound with um, Greg Calby, which is insane. Um, he's like incredible, but that's all. Like that's where our money went for that was just mastering. Yeah, and then. Uh, but Wills, you were messing around mixing a lot of stuff in on on the computer, like Ableton and stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Wills is really good at that stuff. Like he's a whiz at it. Yeah, I like mixing a lot. But it's it was cool going to like the big studio and seeing his workflow and how he was doing things and just yeah, using outboard gear is so cool. Working like with actual knobs and compressors versus like plugins in a computer and whatnot. Right. Well, and cool. tube, tube spring reverb, or uh, tube plate reverb. Yeah, that was insane. It's like EMT. the size of this room, like just a plate, and that's what they were using. It's really natural, beautiful sounding reverb. Yeah. And it's uh, it's not really harsh and and in your face. It's just it's yeah. perfect. So. And that's uh, 10 tracks, right? 10 tracks, mm-hmm. yeah. Was the price shocking or what kind of it, i mean what was the what was your emotional state around uh working it, with a professional it's expensive yeah um, it definitely is but it's definitely worth it in the long run and with brian's commissions he'll like every now and then loop me in to like do type or whatnot and yeah. we'll kind of split the money um I'm we did a poster yeah we did a um edward. it was like an edward sharp and a magnetic zeros poster and uh i did like the artwork and i was like bills do the type because I love like working with typography and everything, but I don't have as much experience as he does, right. and he's just great at it. So I'm like, hey, let's just put this money towards the the mixing sessions. And so, so we did. So in that terms, it's like it kind of leveled out, and it wasn't too bad for us. But also, like that time, we gave him actual like. Tape. tape yeah so he spent like a day just getting it off of the tape into the computer and then like an hour before each song that he mixed just organizing stuff so this time around i think we'll have the same amount of time but we'll have like more time because we're gonna have it all organized and in the computer when yeah. we hand it to him well we recorded it the the record the 24 track two inch tape right which was awesome sound great but um, it does take a while to transfer everything when you get there. And, and we had it mixed the tape as well. Yeah. So we were basically, he's mixing it, and you're in the room at the end of the day, and he plays you the track back, and you're listening really hard. You're like, okay, 
because he's like, after this, we're putting it, we're we're putting it right on a tape, man, and that's it. You're not going back. So I think this record was a lot of just committing and going for it, um, which was cool. It has a certain sound, and we yeah. like we definitely improvise on certain things at the end of the recording sessions. But like, I think we're gonna do it a little bit differently this next time around, and get everything tightened up before it goes to him, knowing like what we need yeah to yeah. Right. So just for clarification, are you two are the band, pretty much the band. Do you guys have? Is it a is well, it a four? It's a four piece band live. Yeah, this, this is the yeah. end of the band. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I guess what I'm getting at is just when we're talking when we're talking about money, when we're talking about decisions. Yeah. I mean, you yes. guys are the creative force of the band, and yes. also didn't you tour with the drummer? Was a tour drummer, right? Uh, well, yeah. Basically, when we went on tour, um, our drummer here, Cody, um, just picked up like a big. Well, I'm, and he picked up a gig at uh, Snug Harbor doing uh, yeah, doing Thursday nights. DJing? Yeah, yeah. DJing. Right. He's been DJing a lot, and he, that's how he makes a good chunk of money. That's so it was kind of like, hey, you know, stop your DJing gig and come on tour and make no money or right. stay home. Um, so that was that was the route he went. And our bass player, Ethan, um, he's getting married, and he's like, dude, i got to make money. I can't. You know, it, it makes perfect <laughs> sense, you know. Because not everybody can just stop what they're doing and go on tour for a month, which right. luckily for me, I'd saved up all my vacation time and I've been at the museum where I work full time for like 10 years almost. And I uh, was just like, hey, I'm going, I'm, I got to do it, you know, and yep. same with you. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> if you're at a museum, they'd understand, you know, <laughs> they understand your art, you know, I, I know, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm not the decision maker at our office, but, you know, when Will's approached us. You know, it's like, I, like, that's what I, that's what I always <laughs> dreamed of doing, you know, yeah. you know, for yeah, God's sake, for God's sake, yes, go yeah. for it. Something to come back to. But I mean, uh, I think like the, the boys definitely contributed, um, yeah, and I don't mean to. I didn't mean to diminish anybody. Yeah. Diminish anybody's uh, well, yeah, participation, yeah. but I just if anything happens, me and Brian take the punches. Like we signed the contracts. Yeah, we started yeah, the LLC and all that. So it's like we're in the hot seat if anything happens or whatnot. But also we like kind of make decisions who gets you know. Yeah, but I mean, like yeah, Ethan play it like for instance we'll have like a track like this is a cool song this is where we're going ethan will show up and he won't just follow what we're doing on guitar with bass he'll bring it to a totally different level he's an amazing bass player so like we can't i mean we can say that yeah we have songs that he played on top of but truly he kind of takes it to yeah, a different he, level he and put then, his own twist on it right. and, and made it his own and and we were totally comfortable letting him do that you know and and, and uh, yeah, it sounds sounded great every time. It's like, hey, dude, here's kind of what we're going for, and then he was like, okay, boom, and he just do it, you know. So, um, and then Cody and his brother both kind of switched off on a couple yeah. songs here and there. Right. So it was just like kind you, of going for the feel. You once told me the story. Is one of them left-handed, one of them right-handed? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, yeah. Cody's left-handed. If you're a drummer out there, you know the uh, you, you know <laughs> yeah. the pain. So yeah, if you're yeah. if you're a sound guy, yeah. <laughs> you really know like, the pain. Really, dude, it's like <laughs> the whole kit, and I gotta like switch everything. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like I would say it's about eighty twenty, right? As far as of, writing and yeah, like me and him do about eighty percent of it, and then the guys come in and they maybe maybe Ethan like 
thirty percent, Cody twenty. Sorry, yeah. Cody. But you know, um, you're getting a But when we went on right tour, now. when we went on tour, um, I asked my little brother who lives in Chicago still. It's I, I have two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger one, and uh, my younger brother is like twenty two, and he's like in a band, and his roommate plays drums in his band. And I was like, hey, dude, you know you want to go on tour for a month. You know, you're, you're 22. You have nothing on your back. Let's do this. What's he do for – does he have a He works job? at uh, – he roasts coffee at Whole Foods okay. um, for Allegro or whatever. Allegro, I can't remember the name. Um, but but he, I was like – we were kind of freaking out about a dr- our drummer situation too. We're like, who are we going to get to play drums? So I was like on a whim. I was like, Ty, can he – can your drummer play drums too for us on tour? And he's like – let me ask. And he came back. He's like, yeah, he'll do it. <laughs> and he's got an exam, like, right when we go on the road. <laughs> insane. And, like, I totally, like, me and Wills just can't thank him anymore, like, for doing that. Graduate that, school <laughs> exam. Like, that first week, just, like, he was working so hard. He, we were dropping him off at coffee shops, and he was there, like, just all day working, working on, on his exam. And stuff. Yeah, com- yeah computer science. Um but yeah, they so they came on the road and they were great. They um, they learned the songs. We gave them about I want to say two months mm-hmm. to practice, and they came down like a day before we went on tour, and we like practiced rehearsed. all day. Yeah, wow. we rehearsed, and then uh, you know, like the first show, there was a little a couple kinks we had to work out. But um, did he have notes taped no. to his snare? Yeah, no, not to his no. No, I think he Chris is like a really dedicated drummer where he'll he'll go and practice and practice and practice by himself with headphones on. Like and even I, in the van just like listening to the yeah, songs. Yeah, he's he's a great drummer and and uh and Ty I think plays by ear like he knows the notes and stuff, but he just picked it up. And uh they did great. They did an awesome job and and they're awesome on tour like it was the best crew. Like there was really, I mean, we got annoyed with each other every once in a while. Sure. But the vegan farts. Were the yeah, <laughs> yeah, not mine, but Tyler's. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, let's get into let's get into the tour uh, momentarily. I guess b- before we leave the, uh, the the record <laughs> itself, how did you guys get? Uh, how did you guys land with um, what are they called Brown. Golden Brown? That's the label that's... So we we were initially going to put it out ourselves in like August, and we were going to bite the bullet and pay money to do a PR campaign, something we didn't do on the EP and realized it was something we needed to do. And this company called um, Parachute Publicity out in Portland reached out to us, and it was like a good deal. It seemed cool. And then like about a week or so into it when they were pitching, he was like, you know what? I actually have a um, guy who's going to... Um, who owns a label, just started a label, and he'd be really interested in putting this out. Would you be interested in like me asking him and whatnot? And we were already kind of working another label situation out with a really cool label here in North Carolina called Fuzz Records. Mm-hmm. And it kind of happened at the same time where we had two co- like well, contracts, good. basically. Yeah, went from yeah. nothing to like two, and then we were trying to figure out and... We ended up going with the Portland one just because you know they're on the other side of the coast and it was they have like a lot of connections over there, so yeah. it kind of helped us with touring, being the furthest away from home and having like another push mm-hmm. and coming back. And it was a really tough decision. For yeah, us. It, it was because I love. Yeah, we love everyone on Fuzz Records and Phil himself. Yeah, but it was really tough. Um, so is this a? Uh, 
you know, exclusive deal to this particular we, release? We did a two, a two record uh, contract with them. So we did Venomous Blossoms and we have one more um, release we're going to do with them. And they've been super awesome. That's great. And uh, like, they just know their shit, you know, and Tom, the, the label owner is just like, he's a lawyer. He's on, t- he's a lawyer. <laughs> he knows his shit, man. You need one of those. Um, but he's just, he, you know, he knows the industry and he knows, um, you know, how to tap into things. And I've just been really impressed with it and for being a small label. And I think they've been around for two years, maybe now. Yeah. Um, he's doing it and it's, it's growing and he's, you know, I'm, I'm impressed and I'm happy. And we got vinyl, you know, like, right. and a PR campaign. and a PR campaign. Like we couldn't be, we're, we're lucky really. So, so that was that rolled into the deal. I was yeah. going to ask, was, yeah. was there a bit of sticker shock to the first offer of the PR campaign? Cause that was, you pay for it. We give you the, you know, yeah, we do the legwork. Yeah. So they were like the first one we were going to go with. It wasn't that much. It wasn't that ridiculous. Um, and did they give you tiers, like choices? Like, you know, we can, kind of, you know. Kind of. We were like, we don't For really this, have that much. we'll give you this. Yeah, we have, we like spent a lot of money on mixing. Like, I don't know. We're just really trying to what like, was it, like figure out a little bit. bucks we were trying to do when we first hit up Parachute? It was did a we, grand. Was we, a put, we put down 300. Oh, okay. And they ended yeah. up giving us the money back since they like switched over. But, um,. And they were going to help us out, but now that we got on Golden Brown, like they put out like a, a 5K like PR campaign, all yeah. these blogs and whatnot. It kind of opened our eyes. We were like, wow, this is like that whole money side of the – like outside of getting your album mixed, mastered. If you want anyone to hear it, you also have to have a PR campaign, and yeah. you never know what you're going to get from a PR campaign. Yeah, it's no guarantees. You know, it's sure. like you your music merch. is, is what's, what it's riding on. You know, and I think yeah. we we had some good some good features, and I'm totally happy with it. I it's, mean, you got a stellar write up from Brooklyn Vegan, which yeah. I know. Yeah, it was great. You know, it's my old neck of the woods, and I know a lot of people. I mean, it's a very influential, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. site. And we were really excited about review. that. Yeah, and, and the we, funny thing is that our label owner actually got that. Yeah. the PR company didn't get yeah. that placement for us, but so it was cool. But yeah, whatever. Um, but it turned out it turned out like. I couldn't complain, you know, like I can't complain about how it all turned out. So, so is there a lot about the business that you're learning or you kind of knew? Yeah, we're learning a lot. <laughs> yeah. Learned a lot when we were like reading the contract and now we're still like learning. That's kind of like another thing when I think about like bands or like kids that their parents were musicians, like I feel like more and more now it's not so much to me like, oh, their parent was a musician, so they're going to grow up um, and be like a great piano player, a great guitarist. But on top of that, a great great business person. Yeah. They're going to, their parents are going to be like, Oh, you want to get into this? Well, there's all this other shit you need to know that like no one else knows. And I think about that more and more every day because it's like, there's so, they could have a book. I think they probably have books about like the whole other side. Booking agents, a manager, their role, um, like all these things you need. And, And then, you know, if you're trying to get placements and, and sync placements, which we're trying to do, and like that whole side of it, and there's so much, yeah. you know, that did, rolls into it. So, did you guys have your contract read by a lawyer representing you at any point? Uh, no, we had. We were Tom kind of fill us in, and yeah, there was only a couple things that were like, huh, you know, <laughs> yeah, like the jargon was just like, 
what is <laughs> my <his> soul? Name? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's he's a really nice guy. I mean, I feel like we're good with figuring out who's shady and who's yeah. whatnot. And he's a really kind guy. And even we even tried to like figure out the like couple parts that we were a little confused about because like getting a music lawyer is like a hundred bucks an hour, and we right. were already tight on cash, so it wasn't. I mean. After our contract's up, and um, if like another big deal comes along, that's when we'll bring in a lawyer. Like my roommate Jesse, he for their like not even label contract, just placement stuff. He has a music lawyer who comes in and looks at everything and makes sure it's all yeah. good. And because some of the crazy stories I hear about his shit with like working with a producer and and then the producer it's like, like I want percentage. Yeah, and that's yeah. Like, well, he never said that. That that's a whole that's scary. Other, yeah. Yeah. And that sucks when you're, you know, you're working your whole life for something and it's, I mean, everyone, everyone who gets involved in this, it's part of a dream. And then, you know, the crashing reality is when people are trying to you know, rip you yeah. off here and there, yeah. and, which we haven't gotten to yet and hopefully never will. We'll yeah. eventually get there, <laughs> but we're trying to sharpen our blades before we get there. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So do you guys have management? No, not at the moment. No, no. I mean, we're, we're not opposed to, we, we actually talked about it recently and. We're getting to that point thing. where I think we're going to – that's definitely we, in the future. We had the conversation about like booking agents and managers and how it's like you want to get this booking agent to book for you, but they're like, you need a manager. And then the manager's like, well, you need a, a good booking agent. And it's like you can't have the one without the other. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's super like There's weak. 10% there and then 10% there. Yeah. 10% so there. So our, our solution to that was like, well, let's just get on the damn road. Let's play out. Let's prove ourselves or prove to people that we can go on tour for a month. and Put it on the resume. You know, and, and do these things and, and really hit it hard and do the best we can with it and you know, hopefully people like booking agents will see that and be like, Hey, they did a month and we booked some great shows on our own. We did, um, the Austin show, uh, the show in LA with vinyl Williams, the show in, in Portland with vinyl Williams, which were great. So how did and, the uh, tour, how did you book this tour? I mean, this was a 25 date tour. Yeah. So we 25, added, 26 we dates. Yeah. We took, we took out Denver, added another Portland date and then we didn't want to end tour. So we like got another date <laughs> at Asheville. five o'clock in Asheville, like rolled up on to our the way venue. home. <laughs> and we were like, Hey, can we join this? They got bill? for cell phones. Yeah. yeah so they were like, yeah, you can join the bill. And we were like, cool, let's do it. And, and it was it, fun. Yeah. We were super Actually. tight cause we'd been on the road forever and all the kids were like, where, who, who are these kids? <laughs> We're like, hey, it's like day twenty nine. We're like, where did you guys come from? <laughs> so, what was your? So, this the tour was all yours, right? I mean, did you? Yeah, was it we all went out on I our mean, own. Um, we didn't get invested. You rented the van. Yep, yep, yep. And yep. we got a booking agent um, through uh, Drew Vandenberg because we we kind of befriended Drew when we were there mixing, and we kind of all clicked because. Um, you know, the studio stuff and having some knowledge in that and just um, nerding out nerding out, and, like, became friends with Drew. And uh, he's like, hey, I got a friend that just kind of broke off on his own. Um, I can't remember the booking agency he's working for. Uh, Outer Orbit. Oh, he uh, used to work at Panesh, yeah, in New York City. And uh, so he started doing his own thing, and, and Drew's like, hey, talk to these guys. And he's like, all right, well, you guys have never toured before. And they're yeah. kind of taking on a, a risk with the band like us, like starting off. But he was cool, and he, and he helped us out. And it Which was were very super affordable. Yeah. And, um, and it was cool. But, yeah, I think, like, we booked some pretty great shows, too, on our own. And we learned a lot from that. 
and yeah. finding really good locals is huge because we played with some locals that I feel like didn't really draw anybody out. Right. And you kind of rely on that when you're on the road. You're like, okay, no one knows who we are yet. Hopefully the locals bring out a bunch of people, and then we gain fans from, from their fans or whatever, you know. But then, like, locals, I feel like a lot of locals' mindsets are, oh, a touring band's coming through town. If they're on tour, automatically they are nationally known. Yeah. And it's like, oh, well, I'll bring, like, a couple friends. Yeah. yeah but it's, yeah. yeah, it's not that case. And another thing is, like, if you're on the road, at least, I mean, still, even if you're big, a big thing in like money making is merch and we like oh, we were yeah. prepared yeah. but I still had no idea like how like it got tour like halfway through tour I didn't care if the venue gave us like five dollars. Yeah. As long as there was twenty people in the room, that's twenty people that could buy a fifteen dollar vinyl, fifteen dollar yeah. shirt. <laughs> and it just you become like I don't know salesman you're like oh that's food and that's gas money and yeah, i could like he was do going this. into record stores you know during the day <laughs> yeah like just driving, say, did you guys do once you pulled into town i mean were you trying to i mean you yeah. went to a record store but were you calling like the college radio stations were you trying to do anything to get we hadn't you know, really tapped well i think we did um brooke from our label was calling a couple people like radio stations and whatnot to get like Right up some what, but yeah, yeah got to get in the morning drive show. Yeah, yeah. But we we'd like get like all greasy and slap on some like cool outfit and walk into the record store and like some vinyl. Sometimes I don't, I don't know what he means by get greasy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what. That means, <laughs> There's but. some bacon grease in your hair. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah. Sometimes it was like it was uh, Baton vinyl. Rouge. You know, Baton Rouge. We stopped in uh, at a record store that my little brother's friend's dad owned. And he was a super nice dude, and uh, I wish I remembered the name of the record store. Yeah, it's uh, Capital City Records. Capital City. And uh, he bought like five or six records. That's cool. You know? Yeah. And it was like Just sweet because you yeah. need gas money. And, and gave us shirts like, from his Capital City. It's cool. <laughs> it's like the Coca-Cola font, but it's Capital City Records. That's cool. He's sweet. Cool. This message is sponsored by Coca-Cola. <laughs> what, <laughs> what kind of cola do you drink? Uh, um, I mean, obviously, you guys went in knowing you weren't going to make much money. I mean, it was yeah. the goal to cover, just cover the cost. Yeah, I mean, break yeah. even. I'm saying food, gas. We, we broke even. I want to yeah. say we broke even. I mean, I was, I was uh, very fortunate because um, we get paid vacation. You know, and mm-hmm. I was like still getting paid oh, so a paycheck. Nice. You know, and and uh, so I was able to kind of splurge and like get like you know third wave coffee yeah. and <laughs> and buy like some clothes and you know like it wasn't awful you know but um we also gen like we broke even but we threw a lot of meals in there too like yeah. everyone was eating like all the time we throw like every time we had a good show like everyone's getting free dinner and whatnot yeah and- I mean what would, what was the I mean. I don't want to ask dollar amount, but what's the, I mean, how, what was the best you did on it? Just a, the door at a show, like Uh, ticket sales or whatever, maybe uh, like, like money. Yeah. How I think the best we made was probably like, we had guarantee for 200. Yeah. But we also made 200 at the thing. Yeah. Like 200 bucks, but like, do you have guarantees at certain venues? Yeah, some yeah. venues, which is awesome because that's gas money in the tank. But usually, like, we had a guarantee at a place um, that, like, the locals opened up for and didn't bring, like, barely anyone out. It was cool because we got a guarantee and it was really rad. Like, 
we got like a sound check and it was really nice gear and everything. But um, yeah, you just you never know. Yeah. But yeah, we're. I mean, we make like Charlotte when we play Snug. We probably make more money than we did on the road. I think we made oh, like, yeah. three to four hundred bucks. Right. But we have you know people know us here. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, but Snug's a great venue. Being on the road and playing all these other venues, it's it, it's yeah. just in a good spot. You have like, you know, walk up traffic, and you have. I don't know. It's a great venue. I'm I'm very like happy that we have it here. You know. But then on top of that, merch sales too. Like we'll we'll sell a good amount of when it, like Houston. Yeah, Houston. That's great. Houston yeah. was surprised you. Did it surprise you guys? Yeah, Houston, Houston was, did. Yeah, we sold I think eleven vinyls. Yeah, we made two hundred and fifty dollars in merch, but got paid like. 30 bucks by the venue there's probably like 15 people yeah. there but everyone including the sound guy was like that was amazing i gotta get a vinyl and a shirt and like yeah. by the end of it i was like seriously and we were like all right well i guess that just like went yeah. up to like we sold all of our shirts on tour we we sold a lot of cds so there's any bands out there definitely <laughs> that's fine. CDs I, will I, save your life that's so like, funny that, that you still bring out cds i would have thought like thumb well, drives i mean yeah. before we were just like ah people don't buy cds and then we went out on the road and it was like at least one or two people at each show would buy a cd because well, it's we like were, five bucks yeah you know? we were selling them for five bucks too so that was the thing but yeah people are just looking like uh, something in the five dollar range it's like a drink i'll buy it like put it in my yeah. car I don't and know. then that's you know people buy three cds you got 15 bucks and it's going mm-hmm. in the tank or you're buying food it's totally worth it but yeah i think like merch is huge and and a lot of bands that we played with didn't really have any merch and i'm like you gotta have but merch. then again a lot of bands aren't fortunate enough to have vinyl either yeah it really helps you know um what helps too that you have a talented designer and collage <laughs> you, know, like, yeah. you guys sell art we care for, you guys sell visual. art for a living yeah. so yeah. when you're doing it for yourself you have a quality product yeah yeah we care about the visual side for sure because that for other bands that's just another cost on top of mixing and whatnot like because he's doing commissions for a lot of big bands and like they're seeing like how much money they're spending on top of all of this just to go into that and then like you spoke of edward zero excuse me i was like edward sharp sharp yeah Yeah. sorry edward zero and the sharp (laughs) (laughs) my first reaction was how much are they spent you know yeah where are they getting their budget from yeah they they're have, just they. They have they, a marketing yeah. um, or a management team. Their that, like, own man- no, they have their own management company. Oh damn! That yeah. they own. Um, they're big enough to just you know fork it out. Yeah. So one more question about the tour. Um, back to the drummer. So was yeah. he? Was the deal with him as just? I mean, did you pay him? Was he you know twenty five bucks a day or was I it bought like- him a pair of awesome glasses. That's what I did. And I mean, I figured he he went in knowing like this isn't a money making endeavor. Did. This is an experience he, endeavor. Yeah, he was like, I we're like we're going to like pretty much every state. You're gonna eat a lot of free meals and you're gonna get some glasses and have some fun and hang out with some. <laughs> were they rose colored? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think you know, like you have to go into it like knowing. And we told him that we're not, dude, we can't guarantee anything. And uh, but the life experience was like the best part obviously yeah you're playing music every night and you're seeing so much and it was hard coming back home you know because you're you know not only playing great because you're playing like every night but you're just you're just different person because you've been in this cycle and this mode (laughs) yeah and then it's over and it's a me it's just like done and you're like wait 
Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. It, it was hard that, coming back. You hear that a lot from, uh, you know, It's like having bands a Lamborghini that, for a week, and then at the end of the week, you have to give it up. And, and like, get in your beater. <laughs> yeah, you're like, all right, I guess that was it. All right. Well, uh, we wrap things up with what we call the final five. It's just five questions that okay. everybody gets. Yeah, cool. Um, so the first question is, uh, what's your most extravagant purchase? That's kind of revolves revolves <laughs> yeah. around your your music career. Music. So uh, outside of tour, just like extravagant purchase for yeah. I mean, like uh, I, I, I want to answer for Brian, but it's got to be a piece of equipment. <laughs> it sounds like I just um, I just bought an Apogee Symphony MK2 eight in eight out. Uh, I don't know, but what that is. I sold my my twenty four track tape machine to uh, fund that. So I just basically took the money from that and put it in. But your mixer was the most, though. Yeah, my mixer was like five grand. But yep. yeah, I got a loan out for that and paid that loan off like a year ago, I think. Yeah, second mortgage. But it's it's <laughs> it was a good investment. I mean, it's... It's for love. Really, yeah. I mean, it's a cool console. And, uh, yeah. So I would say I definitely spent a lot more money than Wills does. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, Wills... <laughs> Will's like, this is great, man. Awesome. Your shirt on your back. (laughs) The beer in your hand. Uh, Yeah, I think the the most extravagant purchase other than like turtlenecks and bell bottoms (laughs) is probably um, the Nord keyboard I just got. Um, And a couple like guitars and whatnot, all like roughly a little over a grand here and there. Um, But it's cool because they all happened after our last record and it was kind of – Nice to like, to get all yeah. The, so now the, for the, the next one, the I have we have all this stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Now we have everything we need for yeah. the most part. We don't. I felt like that's what was happening too on on Venomous Blossoms. It was like, oh, we need this thing, and then you know, we're this thing needs to get fixed. But now it's like everything's good to go. Yeah. So we can just right. record. Um, second question uh, goes to show where your heart is at. If you had. If I were to give you a million dollars for charity, you have one charity, who gets it? Oh, man. Um. Wills, you answer first. Right? <laughs> oh, and then, that way Brian can think. So you guys can switch off going first. Uh, damn, that is – we just There's like, so kicked, many. We just know? kicked it into like six gear. Um do you have a list of charities I have to choose from? <laughs> you know what? I'm not, even, I'm not even sure I have the answer for myself. Uh, something with kids for sure. Like, you know, um, you and know, kids for child abuse or something like that. Or, you know, kids, kids that don't have a family or a home or something like that for me. This heartless bastard over Third here. Third world country shit. The, the, Will, the Wills Glade Foundation. Yeah, I think <laughs> something for third world crap. Uh, can we cuss on that? I, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, okay, can. yeah. Something for third world stuff. Third that, world crap. I mean, if yeah. like we have yeah. like a really... If you can't, like, if we are complaining about... No offense, third about, world. Yeah, if we're complaining <laughs> about our, like, iPhones and whatnot, and there's kids out there that can't even get clean fucking water, like, that's yeah. that's where I'd put my money. Okay. Yeah. All right. Sure. Well, question three is on a lighter note. Um, <laughs> there's there's walk-up music to the plate for baseball players. Okay. Uh you died and you've gone to heaven. So which, which, what's your walk-up music to the pearly oh gates? Uh, oh, my gosh. It's so hard for I've me. I've been dreaming <laughs> of a wife. He sings his song all Christmas. the time. I'm like, that is how I'm going out, weird man. Weirdest dude ever. <laughs> like, so weird. 
Um, Jesus will like that. Anyway. It's my birthday song. Yeah, yeah, true. Oh, Come on in. Fun. I feel like it would have Makes to be sense. like a Beatles tune. I'll just take it back to a day in the life, man. All right. All right. And then, but it kicks into good morning. Good morning. It has to go into that. <laughs> You're not completely dead until it kicks in. Yeah. You're out, man. You're gone. All right. Well, on the heels of that question, question four is, uh, what song is stuck on repeat in hell? Oh, God. Uh, oh, man, we we know this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I'm having a brain fart. Uh, there's definitely one on tour that we were like, oh, my God. Um, <laughs> Why must you follow us? <laughs> yeah. God, anything like on the radio right now? <laughs> anything on the radio? Uh, just name a station. It's just, yeah. I, I don't actually, even know them. I don't even I shouldn't know them. I don't even blame it on like the the artists. I feel like it will come from the stations just playing the same thing over and over again, and just like making people hate. Like oh, I've heard this all the time. Like that's a horrible reason to like hate a song. But I do that. I hate songs. <laughs> Because of that, all the time. Yeah, it's like it's the station's fault, not the band's fault. I'm trying fault. to think because there's so much shit out there that you can just you know listen to in hell and just Fred Durst. I'll just say that. Yeah, <laughs> anything by. <laughs> yeah, I mean you have like Nickelback and all that. All right. I want to think on this and answer it later. <laughs> you, we'll have you back. <laughs> uh, the fifth question used to be. If you sold your soul for rock and roll, how much? But that didn't go over so well. But earlier we were talking about band names with your creative band names. Is there a uh, is there a best band name or worst band name that's out there that you guys can? Uh, oh man! So the worst ba- uh, the wor- besides ahead, besides guys. besides Limp Biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's all. Some, corn, fucking corn. Yeah, man. okay. Corn, corn. no. You're <laughs> um, writing it with a K. You're already messing yeah, up. Corn. Backwards R. Sorry, new metal era. Um, I, uh, I don't know. Cool. Like, there's a lot of cool. Hold on. Can I look oh, at my wand. Phone? Wand was one where I was like, "How is like I?" They came how is out that not taken. Yeah, it came out a couple years it? ago. I was like, "How is that not taken already?" Wand. Like w A N D. Yeah, I was like, "That's a." That's a cool Have band you heard name. Wand yet? No. Oh, man. Do I need to? Yeah. You need to. Nick, write that down. <laughs> I like Stereo Lab. Yeah, yeah, cool Stereo name. Lab's a cool name. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, why don't you guys plug your uh, Where Can I Find Your Album? It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of artwork. I mean, yes. the, the artwork is, Thanks, is, man. is brilliant. The orange vinyl is brilliant. You got to get it on vinyl. Yep. And it's get the you know, vinyl. Get and bottom line is the music's music's great. Thanks, man. But Thanks. we're uh, where do you direct people? Um, go to our Bandcamp, Shadowgraphs NC. You, you can buy directly from there, or you can go to Golden Brown, our label's website, and you can buy the album from there. Yeah, it's, it's on a, iTunes. It's on should be on every Spotify, album, yeah. everywhere. But if you want the vinyl, it's only fifteen bucks, and it's a colored vinyl. It comes with like a digital download. Or and, come out to yeah. our show and buy one. Yeah. Or do yeah, find us. You know. <laughs> exactly. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank, thank, thank you guys. Thanks, thanks for having appreciate us. Appreciate you coming in. Cool. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys.
Thank you, Wills and Brian from Shadowgraphs. Um, a couple of post-mortem notes. Um, I totally spaced on the fact that they toured with both a stand-in drummer and bassist. I totally fixated on the drummer. That was probably me projecting, wanting to live vicariously through a young drummer being asked to uh, tour with a band across the country. Um, and also, Brian said something after we rapped. We were still rolling sound. Um, that's right in the Rockonomics wheelhouse about how they're probably going to use more digital in their next recording. So I wanted to play that. So let's uh, let's listen to that uh, little nugget right now uh, to end the show. So we will uh, listen to that, and then we will talk next week. So we're kind so of still recording a tape, though. Well, I have a four-track half-inch tape machine, which is basically like really awesome like the best tapes gonna get but it's like i don't know four tracks instead of like 24 so you're limited but it sounds amazing so we'll probably track like drums and maybe bass through that and then uh yeah let's do everything digital because tape is like 340 dollars a reel for 30 minutes so yeah it's funny i'm 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 disappointed <laughs> I know. I was disappointed. I was so myself. impressed with the whole analog thing, but yeah, yeah I mean, hey, it makes sense. You can be more prolific with digital. You can record a lot of music. Right. You can, and that's where I want to be. I just want to record and not have to like save up three hundred and forty bucks, and then you know, just want to get as much material recorded while we're we're still you know doing it. And while we're young, while we're young. Yeah.